Good evening and welcome. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, and I'm delighted to be here with you in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco and to welcome you to this evening's Points of View program. This evening is Wednesday, May 7th, 2014. The Center for Dance Education is directed by Charles Chip McNeil, and the adult education programming is coordinated by Cecilia Beam, who, as always, has my deep gratitude for all of the support that she delivers throughout the season. The Center for Dance Education promotes and produces lots of programming. I think you're familiar with most of it by now. The adult education lectures, pre-performance interviews, Ballet 101, <clears throat> Excuse me. And the uh, children's programming, uh, community matinees, I understand there was one today, and our renowned dance in schools and communities program. All of this information is available and much, much more on the ballet's website, sfballet.org. As always, these programs are recorded, and I hope that you are frequently going to the website to look for podcasts of programs that occurred earlier during the season. And as the summer goes by and you're thinking back over the season, be sure you go and listen to some of the lectures and interviews and remember how wonderful it all was. So welcome to those who are listening, perhaps, via a podcast. This evening, uh, we have a rather complicated agenda. We are presenting the final program of the 2014 repertory season. Tonight is the last points of view program for the season. And the piece that many of you will be seeing tonight is, um, or the, the program is program eight, the last one. Um, it contains wonderfully different pieces by the two giants, George Balanchine and Jerome Robbins. And in addition, we'll be in very shortly, be in conversation with principal dancer Damian Smith, who, as everyone surely now knows, will retire from his San Francisco Ballet performing career when the curtain comes down on Sunday. Before I really, really formally introduce Damian, I do want to let you know there's been a change in this evening's program, and I will present that to you as a bad news, good news scenario. The ballet Agon, which was scheduled, will not be performed due to, um, I believe, an illness situation, and in its place will be performed Helgi Thomason's The Fifth Season. The good news is that, although he was not scheduled to dance this evening, Damien will be performing in The Fifth Season. So those of you who have tickets for tonight... I don't normally wear this amount of makeup just on a regular basis. <laughs> you get the bonus. Um, so, Damien Smith joined San Francisco Ballet in 1996. Seems like a long time ago, and yet a very short yeah, time just ago. yesterday, yeah. <laughs> Was promoted to soloist in 1998 and to principal dancer in 2001. Along the way, he's become renowned for his prowess as a sensitive partner, as one of the favored acting dancers on the roster, holding up 
as a superb classical technician and mastering all of the contemporary roles in the repertoire. And then finally, I have had the opportunity to be in conversation with Damien since I, you were new in the company. And it has been my experience um, working with Damien to know that he is one of our most articulate advocates for the art of ballet. And um, You could have perhaps said that at, towards the end of the <laughs> evening. Now the pressure. I'm just looking forward to how eloquent you're going to be. So anyway, I'm just very honored to have the opportunity to uh, get you to speak about this really, and reminisce about this 18-year career with San Francisco Ballet, as well as to offer some comments about the works on this evening's program. So, if this is your moment to really formally, warmly welcome and appreciate Damien. Thank you. So I do want to, for the benefit of those of you who are um, seeing this evening's program and who will see program eight in the next um, few, very few days, uh, a few comments. We have some images from the great work Agon. It's a possibility that some of you will be seeing it later in the week, and apparently it will return later in the week. It's not a permanent replacement. Um, the choreography by G George Balanchine to a commission score by um, Igor Stavinsky. Phenomenal collaboration between those two great, great creative artists. Um, Damien, you performed Agon at some point, is that correct? Yes, I have. Um, I've actually performed two roles in the ballet. Mm -hmm. um, with the company here uh, in San Francisco, I did the pas de trois. Mm -hmm. Um, I've danced that with, uh, believe it or not, Evelyn Cincineros and Pierre Villanova. I performed once that pas de trois. Wow. Um, also Leslie Young, who mm -hmm. was a ballerina in the company uh -huh. years ago. Uh, and I also had the pleasure of doing the, which we have the image here now, the pas de deux um, I did in Georgia. Um, when we, a small group of us traveled with Yuri Pozikov, I danced with Muriel Mafre, that pas de deux. So... I have a, quite a bit of experience in this ballet. And um, while we have a huge amount of other things to, to talk about, I do wonder if you could talk about how it is to embody the Balanchine relationship to Stravinsky. We were talking about how challenging that music is if you're just alone in a dressing room listening to it. Yeah, the music, particularly for, the, for this ballet, is quite difficult. Um, and the counts are very obscured. Uh, the, there's not often a, a, a rhythm or a, th a reoccurring theme. Um, and there are many moments where it's visual. You just have to look at the other dancers and count the breathing more than you know, the internal kind of tempo rather than just the music. Because there are some moments of silence that you have to continue moving in you know, within one, within one another uh, at the same time, same period, very articulate. Yeah. Off to a good start <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was very difficult. Uh, and some very interesting uh, numbers of counts. I remember once in the studio and the ballet mistress was counting up to 19 at one point, which just to me sound seemed very crazy. But um, it's one of those ballets that you have to constantly be focusing on the music and the steps and what's going on. 
you cannot just you know let go and allow the music to carry you because you pretty much have to be just as focused as all of those musicians are down there trying to execute it as well. Well, I hope that some of you will be coming back later in the week to see it if you haven't already in the last couple of weeks. It's an extraordinary piece. Um, Can I say one more thing? Sure. Um, and the tech, the, this particular choreography I find um, is a wonderful collaboration between Balanchine, that technique, the, there's sort of a stark kind of a, a, a cold harshness but with an elegant sort of uh, facade which goes really really well with the Stravinsky Balanchine and this choreography um, it's it's an amazing thing that I, I feel that it really does require the Balanchine influence of technique not just not just the choreography but the style as well in order that that, that is very well incorporated and collaborated with this particular music of Stravinsky's it's a really mm -hmm. fantastic piece one of my favorites actually the fifth season which you will get to see this evening um, which is also rotating in program seven um, this is the the music is Carl Jenkins it's uh, technically minimalist, but it's really very romantic music. Um, I know that, um, is that you? That's you, yeah. I think. Yes, that's Yuan Yuan and I. And I think there's another one of there's, you yep. and Yuan Yuan. Um, were you in the piece when it was created? Yes, um, this, uh, this ballet mm -hmm. was created on Yuan Yuan and myself. Um, I, I'm trying to recall who the other couples were, but uh, yeah, it, it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was actually a very, really nice, um, it, it, and still is, uh, one of those ballets that just I've felt feels like you're performing for the first time. You know, there's still that excitement, and I've seen so many different ballet, different cast members come through this particular ballet, and to, yeah. to witness them each finding their own flavor, um, it's a really enjoyable ballet, and it's such a sweet pas de deux. The second movement is just really beautiful. Mm. Yuan Yuan and I have actually performed this pas de deux just separately in galas in different locations, uh, and it's a very satisfying piece to do. Mm -hmm. And you'll have that to look forward to. Um, I do want to ask you to say a little more about that partnership and partnerships in general when we um, get through looking at the rep for the evening. Um, the middle piece on the program is a not very often performed work of Balanchine. Uh, it was created in the 1960s. It's, it follows a sort of a format that he used frequently, which is to take four movements of a piece and create almost a separate ballet for each of the four movements, sort of short. Yeah, they're all very different. Aren't they? And they're very different, and they're completely independent. None of the dancers in any of the four movements ever appears in any of the other movements. And um, I, I was thinking similar um, symphony in C is kind of like that, except it has a big finale. Right. And uh, Western symphony, some people might remember that, but it has a big finale. This, it's just four separate words. Seems like four different, yeah. I mean, And um, this is, I believe it's the first movement. Um, yes. Oh, and the music is unusual as well. Um, it, a, quin, a quartet of Johannes Brahms that was orchestrated in a very lush and lavish way by Arnold Schoenberg, who is known more for more contemporary 
work. Um, and it's just a full company get out there and dance ballet. Very, very pleasing. And it's fun yeah. to bring it back. Um, one of the, I think it's the second movement here shown with Maria Kochkova and um, Victor. Vitor Luis. And then the finale is worth the price of admission. And it's this wonderful folk dance, gypsy, go for broke, um, danced here with Sarah Van Patten and uh, David Carpetian. And just, and they have so much fun with it. So it's very enjoyable. Yeah, it's like four ballets under one name, yeah. under one yeah. title. Yeah. It's like getting your money's worth. It's six ballets in one evening. <laughs> and then the program ends with glass pieces. And um, everyone I've talked to about it in the last week and a half has said the same thing that I feel, which is every time I see it, I like it better. And I see something in it that I didn't see before. And uh, I understand you actually have performed a number of the different parts in the piece. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, in the first movement, there is the, the corps de ballet, uh, and there are three couples mm -hmm. that sort of swim amongst all mm -hmm. of the, the crowd. Um, I was one of those couples many years ago, um, and for years now I've done the pas de deux in the second movement here with Yuan Yuan. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's a fantastic piece. It's, one of, it, it's timeless. It's, it's sexy, it's energetic, it's athletic. Um, and, and, you know, just watching it just this last week too, um, as you said, that you, you, you like it more and more, you're constantly finding new things that you didn't really quite get to see before. One thing I noticed just last week was, there was there's a lot of, a lot of the steps are quite simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, and basic, but the way they're arranged and the way that they're, you know, created with that, the, that particular music and the formation, it's genius. It's a really, really fantastic piece. It's one of those pieces that if there were words, you would be singing after the show when on your way home. And at the same time, the music is, um, it's hard to hum because it's very, very minimalist, mm -hmm. and it truly does represent the minimalist genre of contemporary music composition. Mm -hmm. um, very simple, I remember Martin West describing it once as, a minimalist phrase has the fewest possible notes and counts it can possibly have and still get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the finale movement is just, it's more about rhythm. Right, and formation. And the dancers just, I don't, I don't believe how they can keep be standing when it's over. Yeah, and I must say that the, the men in the quarter ballet here in this particular ballet, they are busting out. You know, they're, they're, I'm surprised there are not buckets lined up in the wings for these guys. <laughs> they're working very, very hard. And, but you can see that there's this enthusiasm and excitement about you know, doing each show. They're, they're not over it, they're not tired of it, they're not sick of it, they actually get you know, revved up and, and, and oh, yeah. energized to get out there and do the, the great performances that they're doing. And this pas de is just lovely. And it reminded me of some of the other pas de deux that you and Yuan Wan have done together. Um, that I believe we have some images of. So we might just move ahead. Um, this is one of those pas de deux. Um, 
Can you identify it? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> it is After the Rain from Christopher Weldon. And the music is? Avopa. Which is, um, a, it's minimalist. Very minimal. Um, it's beautiful. It's delicate. It's subtle. Um, I think the music, the costumes, uh, the choreography, everything about this piece is it's more of an invitation to observe rather than for us to present a performance. It's more inviting you rather than showing you, um, more internal. Um, I see it as very masculine and feminine of two, two bodies and that relationship there, which is really beautiful and just human and, and raw and real. Um, it's not about showing off. Mm -hmm. It's more about a, an emotion and feeling and trust. It pretty much reflects and demonstrates the relationship that Yuan Yuan and I have developed over these many years on stage. Um, it's a very good example of representing who we have become together. This might be a good opportunity to throw out the plug for the performance that will take place on Sunday evening. The company does have a tradition, which I'm so grateful for, of honoring the retiring dancer with a special performance. And you and also principal dancer Ruben Martin Cintas, who is also retiring, will be honored in this performance on Sunday evening at 7 p.m. I understand there are still tickets, so I urge you when this is finished to beat your way out and around to the box office and get yours if you don't already have them. And on that program, we'll be doing this part of day. You yes. and Yuan yes. Yuan will be dancing after the rain. Yes. You have done it all over the place. Oh my goodness, we have done it. I don't. It's if, where where haven't we performed this piece? Um, but it's one of, again one of those things that we don't get tired of. Um, we never have taken for granted. It, it, it impacts us and affects us just as aggressively as it did the first time in a beautiful way. Um, and the, the response that we get from the audience is always a wonderful, wonderful reaction. Uh, whenever we do it and we're invited to galas somewhere else, we've, we discover that Chris Wilden has been bombarded by phone calls of many other dancers from around the world who have witnessed this part of her saying, uh, may I have the rights to do After the Rain, please? <laughs> and so it's in high demand. A lot of people are wanting to do this part of her. Um, it's a very special thing. Mm -hmm. um, my, mother my mother, unfortunately, my mother's in Australia and uh, she was planning on coming this Sunday to the performance that she had to have a surgery on her hip, unfortunately. Oh, and her one thing was, I want to see you and Yuan Yuan do this Pas live. She's seen Yuan Yuan and I dance many times, but there's been a the program change or something has occurred, the poor thing, that it's, it's like things just not, have not worked out. So we, you know, Helgi and I discussed and we agreed that this would be a very appropriate thing and I was also very excited to do it again for the fact that my mother would finally have this opportunity and, but it's not going to happen. So my mother's now trying to convince Yuan Yuan and I to come to Australia and do it on the front lawn. I, she doesn't care where we do it. <laughs> I think you could make that happen. Anything for my mother, <laughs> yes. Um, another thing that you have been extremely well known for is your wonderful acting roles. And you, we do have some other pictures 
but um, you have done serious, you've done tragic, you've done lighthearted, you've done out and out ridiculous. And I wonder if you would put us in th this picture. That's quite a picture, isn't it? Um, it's a good one, I like that. Well, this is Gamache from Don Quixote. There's Lorena Fejo there in the, uh, as Key Tree. This was a very interesting process. Um, it was sort of one of those thresholds or, of, of maturity, I think, for me, of, of trust, you know, shedding insecurity, embarrassment, trusting myself to take on these roles and or not being offended that I was being casted in these kind of roles. Um, because there's, there could, you can feel embarrassed sometimes, and certainly in the studio where you're in a room of critics. Um, so I, when we first started to rehearse this, I was learning the role, and I was always in a separate studio, and the, the rest of the company were rehearsing in the large studio, and, and then I, we had one day where we all came together, and you know, we were sort of spacing things out and figuring out entrances and ex exits. And I was sitting there, and I was standing on the side of the studio, and I was just thinking, oh my goodness, you know, everyone's going to think I'm ridiculous, and I'm embarrassed, and what, you know, I was so preoccupied and concerned about what everyone else would think. And I just had this epiphany, and I thought, stop it, like, just get over it, you've got to do it. And I've also witnessed other people, when they feel ridiculous, guess what, they look ridiculous. So it just came to me that, you know what, if I have the confidence and just go for it, I, I, I didn't only just come, overcome the insecurity, but I developed so many other benefits of just the, then the ability to really sink my teeth into creating these kind of different roles, developing a confidence that applied to many other aspects of my career, just prioritizing many things that were much more valuable and um, beneficial for me in many, many ways. So this, this learning experience was a very um, dear thing to me now. Well, that's great. And when you first appear on stage, the audience invariably guffaws yeah. because it's such a broad character. Yes, and I remember the, the costume. I, there's a moment where Kitri tears off my hat and grabs my wig and pulls the wig off, and so underneath I'm bald. So I have a bald skull cap on. So, I mean, the, the heat, literally. <laughs> I mean, it's, I had like a, a stocking on my head, and then I had this plastic, like a beige swimming cap that was glued, and then the wig, and then the hat, and up here jumping around under the lights. I mean, I could literally like, you know, release a little bit of the glue and just like let the sweat <laughs> pour out. It was really disgusting. Um, this is a lovely character part, and if I'm not mistaken, you actually were part of the film. Mm -hmm. You played the Drosselmeyer in Helgi Thomason's uh, most recent production of The Nutcracker, which was filmed probably about five years ago, I believe. -ish. Yeah, five, six, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. Uh, so I'm just thinking about the um, being part of a tradition like the Nutcracker, and the fact that while you don't do Drosselmeyer in every single performance, nevertheless, you are involved in a performance of the Nutcracker 30 shows in a row for 18 years. 
Yes, and and I've done Nutcracker guestings, and I've performed perhaps the Nutcracker at least a hundred times before I even joined this company. How does a dancer with a long career hold up? How, what do you, you do? Know, you go through. There's there's waves. There's peaks and valleys about appreciating Nutcracker. There's years where you just like you know, and I think the the most difficult part for most dancers is hearing the music. Um, like if you're in a shopping mall or in an elevator and there's like, you know, the waltz of the flowers, you know, it's just, it just makes your skin crawl. But, um, and it, and the memories, what it reminds you of is, you know, you're backstage with 200 kids and it's Christmas and you're broke and you've got a cold and, you know, and there's, it's just all of those things. But, um, Evelyn Cincinnati, her name, can, he's now coming up twice. Um, I remember one year that somebody asked her that question and she said it's not about how I feel it's about what is being received and the 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 children who are loving the tradition about it the the impact it might have on a young child or even an adult who come and love the Nutcracker that the, the, there's a responsibility as a dancer to present and share that story even though we we take it for granted and more and perhaps even learn or grow to dislike it in some ways but don't forget the benefits and the gift that it's um, being given. So that, to me, always stuck with me. So whenever I'm starting to get a little bit, you know, cranky, I just shut myself right down and remember what she said. That's lovely. Um, you have played heroes and you have played villains. How do you get into being the anti-hero? Some of them have been terrible villains. Some of them have been nuanced villains. I'm thinking this is... Um, <clears throat> Tybalt. Tybalt, thank Romeo you. And Juliet. And Romeo and Juliet. And um, you... It's a great picture, by the way. I think I like... I haven't seen that, that one right? before. Yeah. Um, you danced uh, Iago in Othello. How do you prepare to do the villain? Mm. You know, I don't have like a syllabus or this exercise, you know, structured go through this in order to prepare. There's no formula for me, or I'm not sure whether, f I'm sure there are some formulas that, you know, do help some people, but um, it never stops developing, really, even after the last show. I I'm always feeling or, or envisioning or, you know, imagining and uh, developing new things about a character. Um, and even though I'm not a, t a bad person, there has to be something r that's real of yourself that is in that character. It can't be, com for me, completely separate that you're like mimicking something. You have to put yourself there. Um, be Tybalt, be Iago, not play. Um, and I remember when I was, what was one of the first things? Lar Lubavitch, we did Othello, and I was playing the role of Iago, and it was really hard. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of getting a little teary now, because all these memories are just so great. Um, it was really hard, because I was going home, and I was staring in the mirror, and I was like trying to understand my visual my face expressions better, and what we sometimes think our face is doing 
isn't always the case. So I had to sort of learn how to exaggerate or find angles that, that could be subtle or, or appropriate for the message I was trying to deliver. And it was surprising to me just how inexperienced I was, and which was a, an epiphany too. So it really gave me then the, you know, the understanding of how much work was needing to be done. And um, I, I remember feeling, because I was always angry in the role, and I always had to be manipulative, and I had to be you know, disrespectful and, and disregard this, and, and the, the movements were aggressive and sharp, and I found myself feeling that way all the time as a person. Um, I became, even outside the studio, uh, angry, and, and it was really having an effect on me. And I thought that that was necessary. I thought that perhaps that was a, a naive, immature, uh, not immature, but inexperienced impact that was growing, that I hadn't yet learned how to separate within or without outside the studio. But it was, it was a gift. It was a wonderful thing that I knew that was occurring. But I eventually got to the point where I could shut that down a little bit more and not be that villain or that guy to the person on the bus or when I'm on the phone with my mom or, you know, like... <laughs> so I've just learned to kind of control myself with it more. But I certainly am continuing to encourage it to become more real and sincere when I develop those characters. Um, I've scared some people on stage, that's for sure. Like, they've come up to me afterwards and they were like, I really, I mean, they were convinced. Um, I said, great. <laughs> but, um, so that's, that's been a, yeah, I mean, it's funny. The characters, I feel that they have made an impact on me in a complete way as not not my personality but just perspective and and um and you know thoughts opinions just as a person at whole so mm. it's really helped me just to kind of dissect and explore and be willing to change mm. here are some non-character um, just some images from the wide, wide repertoire. Your repertoire goes on for pages in the bio book. Um, I believe that this was the Yuri Kosakov piece, Fusion? Fusion, uh, yes, uh, correct. Well, and then moving right along to um, this extraordinary ballet, which um, I'm going to try and keep my eye on our time here, but I do want to hear you say a word or two about uh, creating a role in anybody's work, but um, you've created a number of roles for Helgi, you've created roles for Yuri, Yuri Posikov, who is the resident choreographer of the company. Um, a, a word or two of wisdom about being part of the creative process and not just falling into a, an already created work, but being part of the creation. Yeah. Um you know, I mean, I think that there are many benefits of being the original cast in a creative process, but there's also a big responsibility mm -hmm. because depending on who you're working with, um, there are and many different choreographers, most choreographers all have their own unique amount of responsibility or how much they allow the dancer to collaborate or have any input. So you've really got to be sensitive to that and respectful and intuitive. 
Um, and then once you have developed a relationship with those people and perhaps you're developing another piece with them, you, you have a little bit more of understanding. Um, but that can also change. You know, the next piece that they may be creating on you, they may not want as much input as they wanted the last time, or it mm. depends. So there's a responsibility to, you know, inspire the choreographer, um, put, make it uh, your own, but also create the vision of what the choreographer's intentions are. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Uh, the process, the, the, the dissecting, and the, the the uncertainty, and the the just the exploration opportunity of discovery is is what s motivates and stimulates my artistic self. Um, you know, often when there's a show, I'm like, okay, let's go. Okay, next, let's get back in the studio. It's like process rather than product. Um, interesting, yeah. I like very much. Okay. And uh, with Raku, this was really interesting. It kind of came about with Shinji, who composed the music, and with Yuri at some dinner party, actually, was, which was at my apartment one evening. I had no idea this whole conversation was going on, mind you. Um, and they were discussing the, you know, to composing and doing a piece together. And... But this particular piece, I just, it was one of the first times I can just observed and respected equally, or at least was aware of, an equal, an equal respect for the design, the costumes, the music, the cast, the choreographer. It, you know, often we say, oh, it's a Balanchine ballet, or it's a Helgi ballet, or it's a, it was a Yuri's ballet, but every element in that piece, every person who had some part of that creative input, it's their ballet. And that sort of really spoke to me about this particular piece. Every element was so prominent and so valuable that I thought it was a really beautiful collaboration with everybody involved. And it was a great, great piece. Yeah. Um, look forward to being able to see it in the future. Um, can't remember what piece that is. Study in Motion, Yuri Pozikov. Okay, lots of Yuri here. 1760, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do remember the piece now, I do. Um, this is an example of drama. Um, this is the poet in John Neumeyer's um, little, uh, the little Mermaid. Um, very, very different interpretation of a character for you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep moving. Um, Christopher Wheeldon, within the golden hour. Um, That's such a stunning image. I mean, yeah. they've used this image yeah. quite a bit on posters. Or yeah. It's just the color and the formation stuff, really, really beautiful. And to me, exemplifies the fact that you have performed um, in the court of ballet. You've performed as a soloist among a small group. You've performed as a partner in a pas de deux, and you've performed as a soloist solo. Uh, all of that range of experience. A um, couple of words about comparing being part of an ensemble to being the only one on stage. Um, you know, I, I think that there's less responsibility when it's only yourself, of course, that you have to consider. But 
I don't think there's necessarily one that is better than the other. They're two completely different experiences. Ensemble, I, I love there's a camaraderie, there's a, there's a strength in numbers. Um, but there are m more things to consider and to compare and perhaps you're less featured, but there, there's still a satisfying aspect about it. Um, I was talking with somebody just earlier and you know, talking about whether doing a matinee performance or a body, this evening performance. And I said, um, it's opening night for the audience every show. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. th it's not, they're all just as valuable as the other. Um, and so being featured or doing an ensemble piece, I think that there is value in having the opportunity and the experience of each of those. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to have cheated the wisdom of being pushed to the front or at the top uh -huh. without having to go through all of those other mm. aspects. Mm. Um, you showed a, you and many others in the company showed a remarkable breadth of talent when we did the Robbins um, West Side Story Suite. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually got to sing? I had to sing. <laughs> I was really surprised I got casted for that, actually, because also I had to sing with an American accent. And <laughs> And I had to speak one moment. There was one moment where I had to say, um, hey, to hey, wait, I can't see if I can do it. Hey, Tony, how you know? Hey, Tony, like this, like some Brook Brooklyn Italian accent. Hey, Tony. And uh, I would practice and practice and practice and, uh, you know, was not very convincing to many. Um, <laughs> And Pierre Villanova, uh, Ruben actually was the other guy, yeah. and Pierre Villanova also did it. Uh, and he was supposed to say something like, let go of my sister, but being French, he'd be like, let go of my sister. <laughs> and they would be like, no, no. So I think they actually, they just asked him not to say anything. <laughs> oh, love it. Um, At least I got to say my few words. This is... This is Russian Seasons by um, uh, Ratmansky. Alex, uh, yes, Alexis Ratmansky. So it's great that you got to dance one of his works. Sorry? You got to dance one of the yes. works of Ratmansky. Yes, yes. Um, who doesn't have that many in our rep yet. No, no, yet. no, no. Yeah, this one and, and more recently the Piano Concerto, the, the trilogy right, that the, we did yeah, with right. that. Yeah, right. Um, Watching you do the <laughs> Sir Frederick Ashton. This one makes my eye twitch. <laughs> this is symphonic variations. Uh -huh. Many old sleepless school, nights over that one. Old school classical technique and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I have very me good memories of that. Um, oh, gorgeous picture. Margaret Jenkins, the New Works Festival. I, yeah, and it was um, a very different piece for our company. Yeah, and the process was really different. Working with Margaret Jenkins was a fantastic experience for me, actually. Um, I felt really vulnerable. I felt challenged. Um, I felt really unprepared, which I was very grateful for, actually. Um, I like being challenged. I like being proven wrong, um, if I'm wrong, <laughs> and which I often can be. Um, but... There were questions that she was asking and, and the ways of approach that I just, we, the whole cast, uh, 
were not accustomed to, where there were, there were we learned phrases. And first of all, her, her entire company, uh, she has a company of seven dancers, uh, or at the time had seven dancers, and they came in, and they had all learned. She'd taught, worked with them some different phrases, and so then we would build phrases, and there would be A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four, and so she would say, okay, I would like A and C, and then put in two, and then go to D and add four and four. And, you know, so it was like this mathematical uh, equation. And there was no music. She was working with this composer who had not yet finished composing the music. So we almost finished the entire piece without any music. And it was this great camaraderie, this sort of sense of, you know, closeness that the group, that we all were just creating our own tempos through our breath. And we would have to dance a lot of ensemble stuff in, in, together. And so it was, and we were just breathing our heads off in there. Um, and then once the music came, it kind of almost dis distracted us. But, uh, and then we had to alter what we had settled on and make those necessary adjustments to accommodate the music, which was just a whole new aspect, uh, approach as well. And then there was a moment where Margaret, I was doing a step and I, and I spun and I, and I fell out of the step and I stumbled and I said, oh, I'm sorry. She says, sorry for what? And I said, oh, I'm sorry about that mistake. And she says, mistake? What do you mean mistake? And I was like, Didn't, were you not watching? <laughs> and she was like, well, how did that feel? What did that make you feel? Where did, you, where did your body want to go from there? What was, well, okay, well, let's explore that. And so we went back and dissected. It wasn't just a technical mistake. I think it was something that I was trying to struggling with and my body just was resisting. And it wasn't that we just surrendered and let my body do whatever it liked. But there was just questioning the things that perhaps didn't feel comfortable, questioning the things, the purpose, the intention, and all of those things, like what's the motivation, what's the intention, just not, not, not mentally but physically. And so that it was this whole exploration that, that she changed me as an artist at my core, so I'm very grateful for her. That's lovely. Um, we have just a couple more images, um, and... This just, right, I just like that picture. And that's from uh, Yuri Posakov's Magrita Mania, which was one of his first works here. We are at the point where if we're going to have any questions, we need to have them right now. So if you have your question, jump up and run down the aisle to where the mic is. And this is your chance. Okay, good. Here's one. I would like to know why, in particular, you had sleepless nights over symphonic variations. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> um, I think, well, you know, classical ballet, white tights, fifth position, double tours, not my favorite. Um, I, I felt it was a very technical, classical piece that was not my strength. And originally, when the woman who came from London to cast the ballet, um, I saw my name on the casting, and I went to her and I said, I think there's been a mistake. And she says, what do you mean? And I said, um, my, that's, this is me and that's my name. And she was like, oh no, there's been no mistake. 
And I just was shocked. And uh, she, you know, and I was try and this was a, quite some time ago, and I explained, I said, well, I'm just a little concerned that I may not be able to execute this and this and this. She says, well, they are not the qualities that we need to get through this piece. The things you cannot do, we will work and we will get them done. So it took a lot of work. Um, it was probably the one of the most challenging pieces physically. Um, and I was at that period where I was still learning to trust myself. And so there was many sleepless nights. Um, and overcoming that, it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. It was actually ended up in my memory being one of my favorite ballets of that past season that year. Another question. Uh, do the dancers or the company ever hire professional acting coaches to help the dancers um, with their acting aspect of the character? Um, I don't think that there have been acting coaches, uh, no. They're, uh, we're, we're coached by ballet masters um, and people, character dancers who have experience, who have portrayed roles or who have witnessed and shared the stage with prior artists in, in those classical uh, roles. Um, you know, it's amazing. To Helgi Thomason, if any of you have ever gotten the opportunity to see him act, it's incredible. I've actually, you know, he doesn't even realize he's doing it half the time. He'll get up to explain something, and whether he's playing, you know, a gentle Giselle or the villain, you just watch and you can see what exactly what he's trying to ask you to do. But then, to in order to, you know, do that yourself, it's not always as easy. But um, no, technically no. I was, um, oh, there's one more question. This is gonna be our last one. Okay, I just wanna know, what are your future plans? Are you gonna still live in this area? And are you gonna work on any projects with Muriel or Margaret? Thank you very much. I was going to conclude with that. <laughs> um, yes, What's I'm next? currently working on a project with Muriel Mafraid. There's an article in the paper today, actually, um, about a project that Muriel, in the Chronicle, that Muriel and I have been working on. Um, it's, we're raising money for the, um, the archive, the, the Museum, Museum of Performance of and Design, Performance and Design, MPD. Uh, and it's a way of archiving dance in a still drawing. So I've been putting paint on my ballet shoes, taking class up here on stage with the company on a canvas during the ballet bar. Um, we have a collection of six, and they're going to be auctioned off at a gallery on the 21st of July. All the information is in the article. <laughs> yes, but, um, the, the Chronicle, which of course you can get online as well if you yeah. go to SFGate. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I am keeping my place here. Uh, there's still some uncertainty, but mystery and excitement mostly. Um, I'm working on man a few projects. Um, I'm working on two dance films. I'm working on building some installations, some art installations for different events. I'm communicating with a lot of different people from different backgrounds of art, uh, musicians, drawers, sculptors, painters, um, and brainstorming and collaborating with these people on different projects and what possible outcomes might be. So I'm actually just in a, you know, my body may stop dancing, but my artistic self is going to continue seeking stimulation and development. That's where I'm headed. Don't move and don't applaud or don't do anything yet. 
I need to remind you, as we're wrapping up, that those of you who do not have tickets for this evening's performance are going to go out the way you came in. Those of you who do will have to go out, have your tickets in hand, and you go back. Uh, your ticket will be checked as you go back into the main lobby. There are still tickets for this evening's performance, so it would be great for you to run out and decide to see it after all. And last but not least, to get to, I hope to see you all at the wonderful farewell performance. It will be bittersweet, but it will be wonderful to see you in all of those special roles on Sunday evening for the wonderful farewell performance that you'll share with Ruben. Now, you may say thank you to Damien. Thank you. And thank you from me, thank you.